0: And I wanna thank you all each and every week. We're a little more than two and a half years in the game, rocking and rolling along. And like anything else, we keep rolling with some of the best talent, money and money and heart can buy. And I say heart because a lot of times in dance music, um, a lot of things are done with intentions of the heart. You know, not everything is meant to be a money exercise. And we do things because we believe in it or we want to keep the cause going. So, welcome to True House Stories. I am Lenny Fontana coming out of New York City. And this week we turn the spotlight not to the UK, but above, to the Irish Republic. And I have to say, Some of the most wonderful people I ever met in my life came from Ireland Um, in the club scene to say this in the club scene even more so because I remember coming home and telling my Irish friends that were into Van Halen and Creedence Clearwater Revival and the Beatles that I went to play this music called House Music in a place called Cork. And they were like, get the F out of here. Us Irish love rock music. And I remember telling them this back in the early nineties when I went there, you know, I didn't expect to walk into an Irish club and get the love and respect for what we're doing across the ocean. And this gentleman created a big part of that in a town called Cork okay with his partner Shane Greg Dowling and when when i came to ireland to actually spin and this is the early 90s it, it was in this bar hotel with a second floor where they had the club if i remember correctly but if i'm wrong he will correct it because if you see the pictures you'll see it has the steeples that have it looks like a an attic area but man what an experience to play. I do remember every record I played, the crowd going nuts. And these guys helped that along each and every week, championing all the American, all the Italian house records. They were, they were just, you know, keeping everything going. From that point, okay. They actually opened up a record shop and we're gonna go into all that and created a production team called Fish. <laughs> Fish go deep. And everybody says, Fish, where the hell they get the name Fish Go Deep? Well, they're gonna tell you that too when they come on, when Greg comes on in a moment. Um, but let's not, you know, let's not stop there and help make one of the most synonymous tracks in in modern house music, okay? Curing the cause, around 06. And and getting Dennis Ferrer involved on the remix made it even go even to another level, but the production itself was super tight. It was a very well-respected record, and these guys haven't stopped from there. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Let's bring up Mr. Greg Dowling.
1: Hello, Lenny. How's it
0: going? Good, mate. How are you? Thank you. I'm glad you agree. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course, people want to know where your good-looking partner is, Shane. But I'll let you tell them. They're probably asking. <laughs> I love Shane. He wasn't around. So, but we got you. We got the brains. See, there's like you know, in, in the in the criminal world, there's brains and brawn. So we got the brains behind the out. Think- the brains now. You're the man we need to to get all the ins and outs of what happened. So, how have things been with you? You know, and I know COVID, you were saying, we had a little talk before everyone off camera, that he, you know, as everyone took a break with COVID, of course. How have you been coping? How have been things with you and stuff?
1: Um, Yeah, it was kind of, it was a strange time, the whole COVID era. And uh, I kind of, I kind of haven't really been DJing. I've done some gigs, but very few since then. So I kind of pulled back a bit, had a few issues with my hearing. So I just kind of decided to, not put myself in the position of doing damage. So I've been kind of not DJing half as much, still working away in the studio all the time. And uh, but kind of just moved away a little bit from the the kind of bang, bang club situation for
0: me. So how long would you say you've played in nightclubs? You know, if you wanted to play. Um,
1: I would, I think I started DJing maybe 86, maybe 85. Did a few kind of, doing a few gigs like at kind of parties and kind of supporting bands and things like that I think my first gig was supporting the Golden Horde in the Art College they're a, a Dublin kind of uh, punky band uh, supporting them in the Art College here in Cork City that was my first gig and then I kind of you know did a few other things small things and then started running my my own little night which I don't know I think it may have been 86 I'm not sure uh, a night called the Tance Club and um, and it was with some of my friends who were in the art college, so we used to kind of show films and play all sorts of different types of music. You know? So that was my kind of in, into into um, DJing. Now, bearing in mind, like back then, DJs were like woof, fellas in the corner over there somewhere, like who you you know you threw a few quid to, and they played some music. You know? So it was way before all of this. What's happened now? Yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing, you know. And back in the time when this 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 international. Um, well, i'm not going to say superstar thing happened just international gigs where you know people were being brought over for tours the dj was still hidden away it wasn't on the dance floor you know it was the djs were up high like i remember when i played hacienda it's you were high up yes yeah. dj and all but you weren't on the dance floor Think- i kind of you know, in some ways that
1: kind of i, I know there's for and against it but in some ways because maybe in a place like Henrys we were high up you were kind of not re- slightly removed so you just concentrated on your job and you just kind of got into the, the totally into the music now i know this there's, there's a lot of things that's nice when you're right right beside the people but there's for and against both of those things now i
0: think yeah it's, it seems like now the Dj is the entertainment in a sense you know before
1: the Dj box than on the dance floor
0: Right. He was the DJ in the background. He was like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Now he's on a dance. So he's touching everybody, you know, like this. But, um, hey, it's just changed. Here's the thing, guys. You know, it's guys like this man right here that, you know, they were bringing DJs over on the strength of the productions that they were playing. They, you know, there was no way to hear DJs like on a YouTube back then. There was none of that type of stuff. You had to just go with your gut, you know, hope to, it, this guy can be really good or not, you know, or maybe you maybe heard a mix, but you know, you really didn't know what you were dealing with till the DJ showed up for the first time. All right. In that case.
1: Big time, yeah, big time. Sometimes, I mean, I mean, I don't think we ever. I mean, in all the years of booking different productions or different people on their productions, are maybe through the agencies who would have kind of given you a heads up, or maybe sent you tape. Most of them were really good. You know, there were, rarely you came across somebody who was terrible. You know, I think maybe if if they were making that kind of music, they you kind of reckon they were going to be a great DJ as well.
0: I've heard some that were great producers, and they just didn't. Cut it when it came to playing records. But yeah, yeah. it's not all the time. Most guys now, if you if you stick to what it, look, back then you had to go on your gut. Now you can be prepped up with YouTube tutorials on everybody's sets. You have all that information in front of you to know where are you going to play, what the people are into. Back then, you have to go with your gut feeling, you know. Um, just different times. Things were simpler, but also you had to do a little more research about how you were handling yourself back then.
1: But, uh, you could have probably, you know, I mean, back then, you, you know, if you were getting it through an, one of the agencies, they probably would have you know, given your heads up and said, listen, this person's really good or this person, well, maybe not for you. So like, you know, generally you'd have to, you'd had some kind of way in that you weren't kind of getting that something, somebody terrible, like, and you're kind of going, oh God, they can't do it. <laughs> but in some ways, remember back then there was a lot of producers who weren't DJs really. They just made the music, uh, which is interesting. Now,
0: now um, all of our listeners know you, and of course I know you know this gentleman, he's no longer with us on this planet Earth, Frankie Knuckles, right? Yeah. You know wh- how wonderful Frankie Knuckles is as a DJ, right? And you know the music he plays, right? So I'm going to use this example before we get into the first question. To the best of my knowledge, if I remember correctly, this was in Italy. Frankie started playing his Frankie sound. And 25 minutes or maybe 30 minutes into the set, the promoter comes up to the console and says to Frankie, please stop. Please stop. They take Frankie off and they put back on the resident DJ. Frankie, who's a fabulous DJ. Could you imagine that? And why? Everyone's probably asking, why would you do that to Frankie Knuckles? Because they felt the music wasn't techie enough. It wasn't hard enough for that Italian crowd. So the owner and the promoter Got very stressed, and they pulled Frankie Knuckles off. And I remember that story like it was yesterday. This is in the mid '90s. It happened. And I mean, I was like, if you think it couldn't happen to the best of you, it happens. Mm-hmm. And Frankie, to me, is is a demigod. You know, what <laughs> I mean? he's worshipped by many. He's a wonderful person. He was one of the best DJs I've ever known to play in this game of house music. But yet, the Italian promoter said, "Please stop, please, basta, basta, Frankie, please, basta, basta." They paid him; they just took him off. Frankie was like shocked, shocked, and he was like, "But see." But
1: then you see, in, the, in those kind of cases, you think that the, the promoter hasn't done his his homework. You know? That's right.
0: That's what, that's what I'm saying. You know what you get. It.
1: It's happened to me over the years. You know, be playing somewhere. You know. Portugal or somewhere, and they say, "Whoa, this is too too deep. It's too deep. You have to play harder. Or you have to play." And you kind of go, "Oh, really? Did you not listen to the mixtapes or the show?"
0: Or the I song? loved it. I love the mix show, but can you change up a little bit? <laughs> 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 they answer that. They answer stuff like that. No, no, I love what you do, but can you kind of can you get it going? Can you can you can you kind of push it a bit? You're like, oh uh, yeah, that's DJ. <laughs> that's DJing, everybody. Well, let's get right into that question. I'm going to just everybody knows I ask that one question and works on every show, and it's going to work for us right here and right now. How does music find you as a young lad, my friend, or you find the music? Um,
1: um, I came from quite a musical family. My mother, my mother's a soprano singer. Uh, my father played a bit of guitar and the ukulele. So I think uh, my house was kind of full of music. So, I mean, I was used to hearing my mum singing all the time and uh, she did a lot of musicals, lots of Roger and Hammerstein stuff and that. And I, I even think I may have been on the stage with her. I can not swear to this when I was a, as the baby and something or other, but I think music was just part of my life from from day one. And, uh, you know, having a, I mean, my mother was quite a serious soprano singer. So hearing somebody that powerful in your house, the music was kind of in in the the kind of ether of where i lived and then my father was he was into really into classical music and into kind of a lot of Bach a lot of Beethoven and some jazz as well so there was all those records over in the corner a lot of classical guitar playing actually a lot of Via Lobos and Julian Bream and all that kind of stuff so there was kind of this kind of uh, this was mixed in with kind of the musicals as well, you know, Carousel and you know <laughs> Oklahoma and all that as well. So there was all that. So I think the music found me fairly, fairly quickly. You now I was receptive to it and uh, I became kind of interested in, learned to play the guitar a little bit kind of when I was about, I think... I don't know, I was about 10 or 11, so I got lessons in that and played the guitar a bit. Never really kind of kind of got locked in and became a musician, but I can still play a few chords and that. So kind of through that route, kind of music found me, or I found it. And then I grew up in the 70s, you know, so kind of like you were surrounded by incredible music everywhere, you know. And I had some cousins who were really into um Progressive rock and uh, you know yes and uh, Mike Goldfield and Genesis and all that and at the same time I liked all that stuff but then I like kind of David Bowie and all that kind of things that were happening at the same time so that's kind of how I kind of started into the the music world and I think I just I remember I worked in a in a in a shop on the weekends just to 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 make money to buy an album you know and you go down go into town the next you know next week and buy the record. So that was the start of my kind of journey into the music, um, and then God, it goes on and on and on. I just became a collector. Then I think inadvertently, you just started started um, buying records and uh, building a little collection. And I think inadvertently, I think you know a DJ's job in the way is like, have you heard this record? You know, I mean that's always been our to me, and I still feel it like I, you know when I get a new tune, I go, wow, have you heard this? And uh, that. That was the beginning of it. You know, you'd call around to your friends and say, have you heard this record? Have you heard this record? It's fantastic. And you become a collector. So I kind of, you know, it never seeing it as um, as any kind of career or kind of anything that would happen. You know, it was just something that I loved. You
0: know? What was the plan around the dinner table for as far as, hey, son, what are you thinking <laughs> about doing?
1: There was a lot of talk about that. And he I think my I he wouldn't have had the best relationship in the world with my father. And uh, it, it it didn't go well a lot of the time because he couldn't see he couldn't see where I was going, and his men of that generation were kind of couldn't figure me out because I wasn't I wasn't locked down into any particular idea. I was a bit kind of I didn't know what to do really. You know, I know I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do those things. I did okay at school, but it wasn't it wasn't for me. You know, I couldn't find in my early twenties. Wasn't sure what to do.
0: Well, let me ask you you mentioned your mother was into the Broadway stuff and the carousel and that music. What occupation was your father into?
1: Uh, he was an electrical engineer. So. Okay. Okay. Perfect. He went to kind of college and things like, so like he had a good, he had a good education and a very well-read man.
0: I understand why he's asking. So he, he was looking at me going, well, like,
1: what are you doing? <laughs>
0: Like I, you, like he's asking, are you going to play the guitar in the corner with the box open to get money thrown in it? Is that what he's, you know? I don't
1: know. He was just, you know, he couldn't figure, it, he couldn't figure it out. And uh, I suppose I couldn't figure it out either. So you know, I didn't know, I didn't know where where I was going spend it. You know, when you're not sure, you didn't have any particular thing. So I just kind of, you know, kept going with the music, <laughs> and he kept looking
0: at me. <laughs> well, well, son. Well, at that time, now you're talking about collecting records. What were you collecting in those days in the seventies? Um, albums. So, uh, was it more on the rock side, or were you doing yeah, big
1: time? I, 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 re- I got like I was into kind of Yes and Genesis, uh, Mike Oldfield, some of the kind of um, Billy Cobham and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Kind of started bringing me towards the kind of the kind of crazy jazz stuff and John McLaughlin, and kind of got into that kind of complicated overly i mean i suppose a lot of people would call it overly complicated music and then kind of bit by bit as the kind of punk thing 76 kind of the whole punk thing kicked off and then i really got into the post-punk thing you know the whole you know the cure and all that stuff
0: oh really okay yeah,
1: i mean they were i i can still remember the first time i heard um uh 17 seconds the album a friend of mine had got really good speakers he had a really good setup and he he put on 17 seconds the album and we just all went, Wow, what's this? You know, because it was kind of ele- it almost sounded electronic, but it was indie at the same time, you know. And the kind of craft work. So I loved I love the Autobahn and all that stuff as well.
0: Autobahn, mm-hmm. autobahn. <laughs> it's very simple, but yet very technical, the records. I love that.
1: Yeah, really innovative.
0: So in the times that you were growing up at that time, there was no like Disco scene
1: in Ireland yet, right? No, not, not that I knew of anyway. You know, and I suppose I, I probably I wouldn't have gone into the house thing through disco. I probably came in through more of the electronic side of things, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of got me towards towards the. I like the machine nature of house. That's when I heard it first. You know? So that's probably I came around that way through New Order and maybe the early Simple Minds, all the art rock kind of vibes. And I lived in Amsterdam in the early eighties and. Uh, it started to appear in clubs and at venues these kind of three piece bands two synth guys and a and a singer you know and i could something was happening this new kind of music you know so,
0: so basically soft sell and all that stuff that was coming out yeah, I
1: loved all that i love that kind of electronic sound you know and even the, the more kind of difficult nastier stuff too as well
0: Wow, far different from what we're going to go into, which is house music, not too far down the road. In so, some ways, yeah,
1: but you know, if you think about the early, a lot of early house with a really kind of just a vocal over the top of not much, you know?
0: Yeah, it was all just a track, a track yeah. eight, very robotic sounding track with a vocal.
1: Yeah, you know, that's what the first time you hear it, you go, what's
0: that? So in those days in the 80s, um, in Amsterdam, were you playing out yet, or were you just still... No, no, I was still,
1: I was just, I was working, I was a, a night porter in a hotel in Amsterdam, I could you imagine, and uh, I just kind of was, was living on a on a boat on the Amstel, and just hanging out, you know, kind of cycling around the place, and still kind of not sure what I was doing, but I was still buying records. They're great record stores in, in Amsterdam. They had like fantastic secondhand stuff and that, so, so I was just kind of still kind of, I was still buying records but I had no I had no idea I was going to become what I became become a DJ. I was still kind of just floating around seeing what was happening.
0: How long did you stay before you came back to Ireland?
1: And I think it was about 83 83 84. And then I kind of moved to Cork. And uh, I I just was working in bars and things and then that's when the kind of I got the odds kind of chance to play play records in front of people shane's brother um billy johnson was a dj and he's dj in this place on a wednesday night and it was kind of he could play anything he wants you know so it didn't have to be commercial and he got this really kind of strong following a lot of people came to the club and, and the you know the owners were delighted because it was wednesday night and you know there was like and the place was packed and he was and he played you know everything you know fail cootie to f- f- uh, funk records to like wow punk records you name like it was and he somehow he he kind of put it together you know he was just like a really good selector of music you know in the way that you're going how am i dancing to this after that and it wasn't to do with mixing it was to do with the the way he thought about it It fantastic so
0: intelligent intelligent record intelligent record selector i'm not going to say dj You know, and just,
1: you know, I know now everything's—it's it's kind of obsessed with the kind of mixing and all this. But this was to me was real mixing because you've been able to go from, you know, that kind of one type of music to the other type of music. And it all made sense. You know? And I've sat there behind him a lot of the time when he was DJing and thinking, God, this is, well, there's something in this, isn't there?
0: Mm. And uh, now I'm going to assume that that was the sponging for you to watch Shane's brother and what he was doing to manipulate the music and the crowd to different genres of music?
1: Yeah, big time. And just that you know, to to you know, you could get people dancing to great music, and it, you know, they didn't have to know it either, which was the other thing, you know. And uh, he, it just showed you a DJ could be a lot more than what what I thought DJs were, you know.
0: Yeah, but see, some people I knew that became DJs because they wanted to pick up girls. They no. thought it was super cool. They weren't DJing for the love of the music. They were DJing just to
1: be... Uh, well, nah. I don't know about that. Nah. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, like, it's like, you know, you, you join a rock and roll band to get the girls and all that shit. But, uh,
0: yeah, uh, but the DJ became that, in a sense, as the 80s unfolded. Slowly, the DJ box became more of the focus of the night. You know? Yes,
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's completely changed now, it's it's a whole different thing.
0: I mean, at that that time, it was developing slowly like a child, you know, growing up.
1: You know, bearing bearing in mind, we're talking about Cork City, like which is like a small city, you know, in the south of Ireland, which you know wouldn't have had you know a lot of you know, I don't know what the population is 200,000, 250,000, and you know, so like to even have anybody playing really decent records down here was incredible, and so like that you know seeing that a uh, week in week out was kind of spurring and it was definitely spurring there was another few djs appearing as well and it only takes one little thing like that to kind of start to change people's perception of uh of music and what, what could be done from a from a dj box you
0: know? so, so let's talk about something that you know you mentioned because this is when you're breaking ground you're starting a night like his brother did How did he get people to get down there to know what he was doing? You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, he had a big group of friends, and he kind of he used to make he used to make mixtapes. You know, the tape, and pass them around, and then the people would copy the tapes, and that's that's how I think the music got out there and got people going. You know. And uh, he just, it was just a big gang of people uh, he knew as well, which is always helpful. Get your friends in first, you know.
0: Well, yeah, because like today you do a, you know, you set up a Facebook page. Oh, uh, yeah. That didn't exist back then. Everything mm-hmm. was word of mouth back then.
1: Word of mouth. But, you know, I suppose Facebook is just another word of mouth thing, only it's just much more immediate. But back then, you know, you'd meet somebody they go, oh, were you there on Wednesday night? And they go, oh, yeah, that was really good. And, you know, and then bit all by.
0: bit of mouth it is really by nice. by,
1: You know. You know, when it's not being shoved down your throat and you find the thing yourself, it's always great.
0: It's like, dude, you you don't know it. Wednesday was like such and such was hanging out with us, and it was I, off the I, hook. You know, there's something going on. There's action. You know, so that gets people's interest up. Damn it, I missed this. I gotta go. Yeah, you know yourself. Yeah. So on the timeline. So now we're back. We're in court. Car eighty oh, whatever,
1: eighty five, eighty. I think eighty six. I may have, I may have done a few kind of support gigs and a couple of things. I still had no idea, by the way, absolutely no idea what I was doing. I just had some records and kind of tried to figure out. There was no mixing involved. You know, it was just one record stopped, another one came on. Yep. You know, there was. I was trying not make it too <laughs> the to break too bad or anything, and make sure the next one came on straight away. And then, bit by bit, learn to on the job. You know,
0: on the job training, everyone. On the
1: job training, like I mean, you know, one gig. You know, you can practice for like, twenty thousand days at home, but like one gig will get you. Will sort a lot of things out straight away. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, that one doesn't work anyway. Or you know yourself, you people be practicing mixes all day at home, and then they play them live, and everybody goes, uh, "Don't
0: think so." Yeah, right. And then That's kind
1: of the start of it for me then.
0: Or records you didn't That's make right. an impact became the big ones of the night. Yeah. You know, it's always one or the other, you know. So now we, we're into the 80s, we're coming into the 90s. And we're kind of
1: 80, six, eight. We I did that night. I think it's a place called De Lacey House. Anybody from Cork will know it. But uh, it was on the top floor of it. And we used I used to get, I think it was on a Thursday or Friday, I can't remember maybe about 60 people, you know, 70 people. And they paid in to see me, you know. And I, again, all the friends, the usual story. And I was playing, you know, everything from the Sugar cubes, to Jesus and Mary Chain, early hip hop, you know, anything. You know, anything I thought was good, I was playing it. And we we're showing these funny little films, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And that was that was my first kind of, kind of night. And then I did a club then, uh... It was a kind of upstairs place and this run by Dominic O'Keefe and he run the more, he had a couple of commercial clubs in the city, but he had this place upstairs that was kind of New York, it kind of lost kind of vibe. He had had a decent sound system in it and he asked me to come over and play on a Thursday night and I got a Thursday night going and that was the kind of start of the whole, that's when things started to change and then around then I asked Shane, I knew Shane, Shane was collecting records and he had music so he used to come in and play with me in the early days in this place called Reds it was called R-E-D-Z <laughs> so that was that was kind of the start of our partnership
0: wow so let me show a picture look look, look how young yeah, this, this is in the this 90s one, already
1: yeah this this one is just when we started I'd say in Sir Henry's Yeah, we look pretty young don't we yeah, Dane was school when he started with me, actually. So
0: <laughs> he was still in he was still, he was still in high school. I, mean,
1: I did the Thursday no in like in, in you know before he yeah it was high school. I suppose yeah he had to he had to go home early to get the bus because uh, <laughs> so like <laughs> it was kind of strange. But that's the way it was.
0: Hey, you know what? You made it work totally. So now you guys are DJing together, right? Yeah. So back
1: late 80s. I was in Henry's, Maybe The guy who owned Henry's was a, was a rock club. So it was always a rock venue. It was very well-renowned. And the guy who ran that, Sean O'Neill, um, asked me would I come over, you know, try a night over in Sir Henry's. So I went over and the first a Thursday night I played, the first night I played, it was like 500 people show though. And I was like, what? So what the, what's going on? I can still remember my hand was going like this across, the, trying to get the records on. It was shaking. What? I was like, "What the heck and hell's going on here?" Like, and uh, it's kind of door. Everyone, this is crazy. Yeah, this is 87 I suppose. You know, eighty seven, and something happened. Like, you know, I don't know, uh, just there and then, and it kind of took off from from the day one. You know? So that was the whole the start of the Henrys thing, and then Shane joined me. With, uh, with Morgan, uh, another guy, and the, there was the three of us then. Um, we started uh, the night.
0: Okay. I and Saturdays, right?
1: No, it was Thursdays.
0: Oh, I'm sorry.
1: Thursdays, but Thursdays was, was the big night for a long, long time.
0: Can you believe that everyone on Thursday night is like the Saturday night of the week? Yeah.
1: The, the, yeah, it was great. In fact, when we tried to move to Saturday... It took ages to get people to go on Saturdays. Which, I don't know. <laughs> which is kind of strange. Like eventually, it became the night, you know. But I mean, yeah, kind of crazy.
0: Let me show them this picture. Look, look, look at the crowd.
1: That's me and Henry's. Yeah, on the Thursday, I'd say.
0: Thursday nights packed yeah, yeah. like a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Did no one work on Friday morning? I don't
1: know. You know, I mean, like. I don't. I don't remember people thinking about those. I don't remember any. But yeah, I suppose they oh, do. You're
0: working, so mind you, you're working through the whole night.
1: I was. I'd say I was working in a bar at that time, so you know I could have flexible hours, you know.
0: Okay, so now, this is you, 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 Thursday. At that point, were you bringing any guests yet, or you just was it all no, no resonance?
1: Not, not at that point, but I'm not. I think it would have been. ACH, we brought over um, Mike Pickering. Let me show that. Hold on. From MP, that's actually the picture from the night. I think
0: we brought him up. That's Paul.
1: How young
0: he was, everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's him. Um, and we brought Mike over, and kind of everything changed from there on. You know, because he 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 played a the fantastic set, and there was lots of house music, and you know, all different different tempos and things and he mixed it all together and like i think almost from that moment that you could you could say okay this was kind of ground zero and then it it took off from there and then like you know within the space of a couple of months it was packed all the time
0: why would that have happened
1: you think i don't know there was something you know cork took to the music i don't know they just it it was first of all, it was a mixture of people. It was people from all over, different kind of parts of the city, and they just took to the music so quickly. It was like, whoa, they got this straight away, you know, you know. And the suppose you're mixed with it. So a musical revolution on our on our kind of right in front of us. New drug, you know, ecstasy had a huge, you know, bearing on the whole oh,
0: thing. everyone, please search for part two of this podcast on the platform you're watching or listening to. And please do not forget to follow us.